Good afternoon and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make our community tick. Stephanie Thomas has been around our community around the whole state looking to make our election system tick. She's the candidate, the Democratic candidate for Secretary of the State with the November 8th general election. Stephanie Thomas, welcome back to WNHH. Thank you for having me. You're the best lead in music. <laughs> I know. It's the Afro-Semitic <laughs> experience. I love it. You know, I've heard it now. I realized over a thousand times and I've never grown sick of it. It's so upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't mind bringing the mic closer to you. Sure. I want you to be so close that you're almost touching it. Thanks. I am almost touching it. So, Stephanie <laughs> Thomas, you came in a few months ago in the spring. And at that time, it was really nice to meet you. And I said, oh, I'm meeting this really nice, you know, impressive woman who's had quite a career. She's running for this office that I think about 30,000 people were running for. There were all these Democrats. But she's serious, like six or eight very uh, serious eight, candidates yeah. for the nomination. <laughs> and I said, boy, she's kind of a long shot. You know, she hadn't done this before. She's a one-term state legislator, very successful career in nonprofit world in New York, state rep from Norwalk, won a, a district that was Republican before. So I was obviously kind of impressive. But I thought... But it was nice to meet her, I'll be honest. And I think she's going places, but, you know, not this year. She's not going to be the Secretary of State can or anything. Then they had this convention, and all these seasoned uh, veterans, all these people in the legislature a long time, had all the statewide support. They all crumbled, and you were the survivor on the island. So now you are here today in the studio as the front runner. You are the Democratic candidate for Secretary of the State. The parties are all around you. You're on all the ballots, first line. And help me remember, was Pauline Keyes at their last... Republican Secretary of the State? Uh, I believe so, yes. So that was 1990? Yeah, so, some time ago. <laughs> so I think that makes you front runner um, because it's been, th- uh, oh my God, my math, 32 years since there's been a Republican, and also Republicans haven't won any lower ticket races, and the governor candidate top race is way ahead as the senator, and um, there are only 400-something thousand Republicans. There are almost a million Democrats. Am I right? Or... Uh, are you going to say, yeah, I'm cocky, I'm sitting back on my heels, I'm not going to go fight for it? I would never sit back on my heels. Uh, my numbers look good, certainly. I feel optimistic, but I always feel a responsibility to earn every single vote. Um, and for me, that means not only Democratic votes. The Secretary of the State is what I think a very nonpartisan role. So it's really important to me to reach out and also earn the vote of unaffiliated voters, Republican voters, Green Party, Libertarian, whoever. I think you want the right person who is invested in making sure everyone has access to the ballot um, and that it is secure and safe. And again, I'm going to ask you a little closer to it. Um, And I want to get back to that a little later in the program about how one appeals to different voters in this polarized atmosphere. But um, how does it feel different from last time you were here? I mean, first of all, you... Are you feeling more confident now that you've gone through a process, learned how it works? Like last time, you're still trying to get straight. How do you set up the committee infrastructure? How do you get a spokesperson? How do you, you know, how does it feel? How's the Stephanie Thomas of October different from the Stephanie Thomas of April? Per, uh, perhaps not more confident, but more comfortable. Um, campaigning is something that is very um, different <laughs> than most experiences, certainly campaigning statewide is very different than campaigning in a local district. Um, but I have so enjoyed it. I'm literally from driving from North Canaan to Ashford to Stamford to learning all those towns. We don't uh, know, you know in Connecticut. Uh, <laughs> Stonington. Yeah, exactly. I think I've been to about 120 of them and speaking with all of those different communities has really been 
I don't know, life-affirming in a way. I get energy from it. I've learned so many different things from different communities, and I believe that is the best of government, going out, talking to people, so that you really can embody their voice in the office. Um, so I'm excited. And I won't do this mean trick to you that I did to Susan Bysowitz when she had the job for a long time. I could say Sprague, and Susan could tell you who was the Democratic chair. Susan can you not quiz me. <laughs> I won't. No, I mean, I, won't, I can't tell you all 169 towns, but she had been Secretary of State, I guess, was it eight years? Uh, yeah, eight or ten. And she just learned everybody. I mean, yes. what a memory. She's amazing. <laughs> but again, what you're really doing is you're going to the grassroots of democracy. Secretary yeah. of State is the person who administers elections, all the voting registration, all the databases, the rules for elections, work with local registrars to clear up any problems, yeah. make sure the results get answered, and you have a, a database for corporations and small businesses. Mm-hmm. What do you, you talked about getting inspired on the trail, doing grassroots campaigning, mm-hmm. which does seem like the most fun part of yeah. campaigning, meeting real people. How does that translate to the job you're going to do very specifically? Like, can you tell me something you heard? doesn't have to be Sprague. If you heard <laughs> something you heard on the trail one day that made you say, here's why I do it. This is really kind of interesting. Here's something I learned or here's something I want to do if I get in there. For me, what it's made me realize, it's a lot of on the ground brainstorming, if you will. <laughs> and you sometimes hear just the little story that makes you realize if you could make a small process change, it would make so many people's lives better. Um, nothing comes immediately to mind, but, um, just, uh, last week I was at, uh, um, disability employment awareness month event. And someone was telling me that when they go to their polling place, the accessible, um, assisted, uh, voting device, uh, that every polling place should have was still sitting in its box. So she had to wait for the person to take it out, plug it in, set it up, turn it on. And I just thought, you know, every poll worker I know is very well-meaning, and perhaps they just didn't think someone would need it. So just providing, you know, like a week before the election, here's your checklist, make sure you do all these things. They certainly have these guidelines, but I think the secretary can be more proactive about making sure all of these, especially new registrars, um, new poll workers have all of this information at the ready. Um, so it's just thinking about how to take those stories and infuse them into Where policy that, that works. Where was that event? Um, that event was in New Britain. And I'll tell you what I want to ask you just before we move on to, there are bigger issues at stake in this election. They really mm-hmm. matter. I mean, democracy matters. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a Republican or Democrat, blue state, red state, you have different views about why, but election integrity is a big issue. Mm-hmm. But it's those little things I think do those questions about how you how you do the nuts and bolts of running an election, it's hard. And we watched them enough in New Haven to see that you got to get so many people to work from like 6 or 5 in the morning till 8 or 9 at night and some people till midnight. And it's hard to find enough people to, to staff the polls. And then in cities like New Haven, we have so many districts because they cut across. Many districts mm-hmm. get cut in half because some's for state reps, some's for all. There's some years... You get people who are just sitting there in some cases all day. Nobody shows up. And mm-hmm. do, do you do you get more? This was a great example you gave about disability. Are you getting much of that about is there a need to really come? Because Denise Merrill worked hard on this. He's Secretary of State before. Do you feel specifically there needs to be a big push to help poll workers and registrars in the local towns and cities do a better job on Election Day? I do. Um, but I'll start by saying I think... Um, What you said at the beginning is true. 
It is such incredibly detailed, meticulous <clears throat> work to make sure that there is no malfeasance, and that it's not things exciting. are set up. It's not exciting. It's very wonky and process-oriented. Um, but the professionals I know are really committed to making sure it's implemented well. And you have to dot every I and cross every T. Um, so I think they do a great job. But it's uh, most people don't realize we have almost um, 3,600 people who work on Election Day. That's a huge team. Many of them... They're just working that one day. Some are repeats and have done it before, but many are new. So you have to treat it like a new workforce. There are certainly registrars who have been around for decades, but they might be leading troops who this is their first time. And there are so many steps involved, um, which is why I do think it's important that we step up our training a little bit. Um, we, uh, we have online training available we have uh, reciprocity with some universities who do election training, but I think we can um, do a little more with providing um, what I call real-time peer-to-peer learning. And Justin Pegli, you know, who's running for Congress, has a question he wants to ask you, but, and I will ask that, Justin. Thank you for listening. But what about this problem they're having nationally getting people? So I know in New Haven, mm-hmm. I don't think it's tied to the same problem we're seeing nationally. Nationally, there are people who get death threats. Yes. And that there are organized efforts to come to the poll place and shout people down, insert fake things. I mean, they've been grabbing stuff in Arizona and other places mm-hmm. in the most recent elections mm-hmm. where they try to change it. And people just feel that harassed isn't worth it. Am I right that we're not seeing that in Connecticut, but we do have a problem finding enough people to work on Election mm-hmm. Day you know, in New Haven? Because even if you can get 150 bucks or whatever, is it worth your, you know, all those hours and... We are hearing about threats here in Connecticut. What kind Um, of threats? (laughs) um, You know, election workers feeling harassed or fearful. Um, Are those real threats? Are are we having the crazies here that say... I'm not privy to that information, but I have heard registrars just that I've met around town say that they're nervous um, in certain towns. You know, they get harassment, um, probably not death threats or anything like that, but I don't want to misspeak because I'm not privy to that circle. But um, it is also um, what is seen as one of the biggest um, security threats in our elections right now by the national, um, the federal government. Um, what is it? The um, Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, which is a department. So you are hearing of, fears, yeah. not just yeah. frustration of finding enough people who know what no. to do and show up. Because New Haven sometimes they don't show up. Yeah, the polls. I mean, it's it's a temporary workforce. So I think you have the same problems you have when you're trying to recruit for one day. The pay isn't great, etc. Um, that's something I would love to look into to see what help we could provide for towns uh, Any thoughts? in hiring. Um, the secretary's office has been under resourced for decades uh, or at least a decade. And um, once they change the funding structure, Um, And some of the money that we make through the business services side now goes into the general fund, Mm. whereas it used to fund the secretary's office. And that's problematic. Um, So I I do think we need to provide more funding to the secretary's office because this is a huge job. And it's funding to do what? To focus um, on helping uh, pay more for people working Election Day? It's everything. Um, A lot of the costs for administering our elections are pushed down to 169 towns. And as you might imagine, depending on their budget, um, they can or can't do certain things. Um, And I I, I don't even think it's $150 now to work the polls. I 
thought it was lower. Mm -hmm. Um, so a couple of different jobs. Yeah. yeah, So, yeah, exactly. So maybe we need to invest more in that as a state, or maybe we need to do a better job recruiting people from college campuses. Are you saying that if you can get more of the money directed back to the secretary's budget, you can give more support for election day work. And you're listening to Stephanie Thomas, who was the democratic candidate for secretary of the The state. One thing you have to learn in New Haven if you're (laughs) politics or journalism, the state. Henry Kissinger was secretary of state. Stephanie Thomas wants to be secretary of the the state state. on on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM 103.5 FM live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Justin Peglino, who's running is for Congress, second time for the Green Party, has this question. Ranked choice voting is urgently needed to fix what is most deeply wrong with our democracy, two-party dominance. John Adams feared it as the greatest political evil. The reasons are clear. Polarization, partisanship, inaccurate representation, loss of faith in democracy, and lurch toward authoritarianism. To casually dismiss RCV as a non-priority is short-sighted and dangerous. Um, have you done that? I don't remember. Last time I asked you, you hadn't thought about it. And also, and thank you for the question, Justin. The other reason people give in addition to two-party system is people who even agree with the two-party system or feel that cities have become one-party systems think it kind of gets away from the limits of a party system. Like John DeStefano, who was a very partisan Democrat mayor in New Haven 20 years, says he thinks in New Haven we should just have runoffs, mm-hmm. like have ranked choice voting, mm-hmm. have everyone who wants to run in the first round, and then, mm-hmm. you know, have the... What do you, what do you think? Um, so ranked choice voting, and thank you, Justin. I feel like I get this question or I get um, uh, <clears throat> these statements a lot. Um, part of being a responsible leader and manager is managing limited time and resources. That's just a fact of a job. Um, I understand that in the political arena, um, there is often a temptation for cute sound bites. Um, But I am not interested in politics. I'm interested in governance. So given where we are in Connecticut, given the reality of our infrastructure and the timeline it will take to buy new tabulator machines that would even be capable of implementing ranked choice voting, it is not something that would be a priority in the next three to four years, um, given time, resources, budget. What I have always said, um, and what I said last night in the debate, is that I think most policy works best when it is from introduced from the ground up, meaning there's a groundswell among the people saying they want it versus coming from the top down. And that's where it becomes hard to educate uh, an electorate. It becomes hard to, um, you know, make people feel like it's not a mandate. Um, So I have always advocated for people in the grassroots to start educating people now so that if we are able to implement ranked choice voting down the road, the people are ready. Um, but I also think it's treated as a panacea um, for, and it sort of implies that every minor party would have equal access somehow. But um, to have ranked choice voting in addition to the infrastructure, our entire system is set up as a two-party system. We have the town committee system. You look at our registrars, they're Republican, Democrats. You look at our citizens' election program, there are different rules. You think you look at our ballot access, in, in and of itself, there are different rules. So it will require quite a comprehensive change in many of our laws. 
for it, I think, to realize uh, the benefits that I think it offers. Do you like the idea? Um, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, but as as a person, an individual on the, on the street, I think it's a great idea. And I can say, let's do it tomorrow. But as a manager, I know it can't be done tomorrow. So uh, there are many things that can be done tomorrow and that must be done tomorrow. And one of those things is getting new tabulators. Um, most people know ours are over 20 years old, um, are starting to die <laughs> uh, one by one. Um, and we have to get an RFP process together and get that purchase done um, just to implement our basic elections. Um, and then we can start talking about rank choice. Okay. And then we, when we talk about other issues that we're about to, like early voting, mm -hmm. no excuses, absentee voter, mm -hmm. those are all things that required 10 years of work. And while it had to happen from the grassroots, it also can get the assistance of people in leadership to help it along or people who stand in the way or people do nothing. Mm -hmm. So Maine and Alaska have done it. Oregon's done it. You know, some forms of these things. Would it, if you support the idea, would it make sense for Secretary of State to advocate a study commission? Um, would you want to help the process along somehow without having to expend a lot of political capital? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have been helping it along <laughs> in the background, actually. Um, the uh, So Alaska and Maine do it. Um, in everywhere else, it's a, a municipality. Right. Um, so, you know, and there are some issues. Uh, and you have to start educating people about what those issues are, one of which you're not getting instant results. You know, in Maine, for example, um, most people don't realize you have to transport either the memory card or the ballots, whatever you're using, to a central location. It can take a week, week and a half to get the results. Um, and I know there was a big uproar about getting results the day after the election. Well, people are going to so, get used to this. Yeah. You know, it, there's a whole education piece that's required, and I think doing that on the front end makes a lot of sense. So would you be I'm forming not a study commission? Or? Um, I know the governor has talked about putting something, something together. I am uh, in favor, and I've said this many times, there are study bills and there are study bills. I'm in favor of the right kind of study bill that has um, a plan A, a plan B, um, a trajectory for what happens after the study is done versus some of the study bills that I've seen that happen and then a nice report sits on a shelf for the next five years. So one big issue that is coming, moving along now is early voting. Mm -hmm. We always talk about how the fight for more democracy taking place in Georgia, it turns out some of Connecticut's voting rules are more restrictive. We do not have early voting. Most states do. There's a ballot initiative this year. Is this mm -hmm. the second time it's going to the voters or the first? Um, second. Definitely second. My... So interesting what a long process is. I guess if legislature has a supermajority, they can amend the Constitution. Otherwise, that's about twice before the voters Correct. and not two years in a row, right? Isn't it every other year or something? Yeah. So uh, two successive terms have to vote for it with a simple majority. Yeah. And so, and then at that point, if it passes this fall, first of all, do you support it? I do. Absolutely. And would you then introduce, can you introduce a bill for it then? I mean, how would it work if it passes? Um, so if the ballot referendum passes, it allows the legislature to look at it. Um, and like any governing body, um, there's a wide range of opinions, um, I have heard people say, okay, let's look at rolling it out by 2028. I've heard people say, let's roll it out by 2023. And I've heard everything in between. Um, uh, 
the people who say they're not in favor of it, you, uh, you know, like uh, my opponent last night in the debate said, it's like writing a blank check. And it's not like writing a blank check. This is the process of lawmaking. We cannot discuss it until the constitutional amendment goes through because no legislative, um, we, we are, maybe a full-time legislature would be different, but part-time we raise bills. And that's what we discuss, bills that are raised. We can't raise the bill if we don't make the constitutional right, amendment. So what happens then? So you're saying it's not, but his point is that you're telling to, uh, you have to do early voting to towns be not giving them the money to run early voting. Well, no bill has even been discussed. Right, but if it does, raised. so what would you do from day one? So Jen- me, as Secretary of the State, I would be proposing a bill that is not an unfunded mandate. I've been looking into policies around the country. The Secretary's office, I know, is doing their own study currently, which is due to be released at the end of this year. Um, I have weighed in somewhere between three and five days. I'm still looking at models. Um, We uh, definitely would be, you know, you can't open every polling location and, you know, all of these um, uh, fantasy scenarios I've heard out there. Um, I don't think anyone serious in Connecticut about implementing early voting is Thinking of, you know, I've heard people say, what if the Democrats want 90 days? No one's talking about 90 days. So you're looking at three to five days yeah. and limited locations. Exactly. And w- what about paying for it? How would you pay for it? Um, uh, uh, I'm hoping to, I have been lobbying some of my peers already. We have to have budget. Uh, there will be so many um, increased costs uh, in terms of security, polling staff, etc., um, we can't push that off on the towns, especially, uh, you know, if we want an implementation in the next year or two. So how soon would you want it to be implemented? Um, I'm thinking 2024. Um, I think there's room. Uh, there's a lot to work out, a lot to train, and a lot to get towns on board with. And why do we want early voting? Why are you in favor? Um, I, I think it's good for everybody. I've heard so many people come and testify. I've talked to so many people. I've talked to groups for as diverse as Moms Demand Action and AARP. It's good for anyone who has unreliable transportation, um, who don't like wake up and don't know their good days from their bad days, whether that's physical health, mental health. It's good for seniors. It's good for people with disabilities. It's good for people with sick children. (laughs) Um, You know, things go wrong every day from a flat tire to um, you get bad news about a family member and you have to leave town suddenly. People just don't want to risk that they lose their right to vote because Election Day is when that bad thing happens. Um, And as you know, you can't vote by absentee because you expect you might get a flat tire. (laughs) So in-person early voting gives you options um, that are not restricted to one for So one question that gets raised is that new information comes up in the course of a campaign. Some states go for weeks. You don't want to do weeks. Um, is there a concern that people aren't voting based on the same information if they're voting at different times? 
I don't have that concern because we have always had elections with different time frames. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you take military or overseas, they've always had um, 45 days. And absentee. For example. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm not concerned about that. Um, I've heard uh, people say that, um, I think my opponent said, well, what about the October surprise? I think that's ridiculous because uh, why campaigns have October surprises is already a ridiculous construct. If you have something to say, you should be saying it all along instead Mm -hmm. of trying to spring a I gotcha to um, uh, manipulate voters like a week before an election. So maybe it can induce us uh, to adopt better behavior. (laughs) Mm, Better be, But why are you not talking about October anyway? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I guess another question is whether we want to have university absentee balloting, like what anyone could just no excuses send an absentee ballot even longer. How do you feel about that? Um, I, I do also believe in no excuse absentee ballots. Um, you know, uh, some of the earliest states adopted no excuse absentee ballot because they found so many people were lying about it. <laughs> I mean, people want to vote. People want to be civically responsible, but sometimes they don't know what's going to happen. Um, You know, I used to hear in my area often, uh, we have a lot of commuters to New York City, um, and they actually didn't know if they might have a last-minute meeting or get um, called to stay in the office late. And technically, that's illegal to vote by absentee ballot, but it's a totally valid reason. (laughs) Um, And why should your right to vote be um, curtailed? Because, you know, or you have to to choose between your job and your right to vote. Um, It makes no sense. So I am a proponent. So you're... um race with this Republican Dom Rapini, and there, there is a Green Party candidate, uh, Cynthia Jennings. Uh, I, uh, she's on the independent Oh, independent, line. independent line, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she came in here, too, yeah. and we, we'll link people to that, too. The, um, you and your Republican opponent kind of reflect the national-wide debate about expanding the franchise. Democrats say you got to make it easier to vote. We want more people to vote, have more Democratic. Republicans say you need rules and limits because there's fraud and that you have to look out for integrity. For instance, absentee ballots. We have had elections in New Haven where people filled out stuff, especially elderly, that someone filled out for them and told them they didn't know what they were doing or someone else brought in the mailbox and went to prison for that here, or actually was let off, but it was convicted. Bridgeport, we had elections where there were a lot of questions about the ballots. I guess someone was uh, admitted to fraud in Stanford. Yeah. Is your opponent right that we have to think about election fraud and it's a problem? I think um, that's a false narrative. Um, inter- it's not binary you can believe in ballot access and still protect elections. You know, Mm -hmm. that's sort of big GOP um, talking points that you have to support one or the other. Um, The right to vote is sacred, I think, to many people. And they, I don't think of it as easier. I think of it as enabling people to express their civic responsibility. People want to do it. So we have to be realistic about um, what is capable in today's modern society where many people are working multiple jobs. They travel long distances to their workplace. They have busy lives. But we can do that securely. Um, uh, What have you learned from other states like Oregon that have the mail-in? What have we learned about percentage of fraud and what needs to be done? Well, that's different. That's complete mail-in voting. 
whereas I'm talking about no excuse absentee voting. Isn't that the same thing? No. Complete mail-in is um, their entire election conducted by mail, meaning oh, okay. you don't go to the poll. Oh, you don't place. go to a poll. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we've learned about security, um, I am all about security and best-in-class security. Um, what we have learned is you need some things in place, barcodes, for example, so that the ballot can be tracked from the time it is sent out through the postal system um, to the voter and then back again to make sure, one, the voter can see where it is and for the election staff person to be sure they know uh, what has been sent out and what's coming back. But I also believe the voter has a responsibility, and I think this is where the secretary can be instrumental. You know, when I was here last time, um, the main differentiator, and I think one of the reasons I went from long shot candidate to <laughs> sitting here today, is I believe so fervently in the importance of civic education. We have to do a better job at educating the electorate. Some of the, you know, some people are susceptible to misinformation and bad actors because they don't actually know what the rules are, what the regulations are. Um, I've seen people say things like, oh, I'm going to have my husband fill out my ballot and turn it in, like not realizing that that's not really allowed. Um, I think if people know their rights, if people know um, what the election laws are, and if we can you know, hit them with repetition on it. I think that would, would also you do that? help. Like I know one controversy was this office of misinformation that was that still being created? Um, yeah, someone was hired for the office of misinformation, but that's misinformation. I'm just talking about actual information. Oh. Um, you know, people don't, uh, and I, I won't say people, but many people do not know all the ins and outs. Most of us don't know like what happens. And- I find myself been covering elections a long time. I find myself not being able to answer my friends' questions sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no. So absolutely. how would you do? What hasn't been done that you would do? Um, a few things, and some things have been done, and we need to do more of it. Um, uh, so let's talk about adults. Um, we have a civic ambassador program here in Connecticut, um, which a few dozen people go through. It's a great program, and it teaches you about how our state government and local government works, and more importantly, how you can engage with it. Um, I would love to see that beefed up. We could also do some very simple things, um, much like we did with the complete count committees for the census, put together toolkits, um, and make sure that the secretary staff person who's in charge of constituent engagement who does all of that community outreach, we just um, uh, visit all of these groups, whether it's uh, religious institutions, advocacy groups, mom groups, you know, uh, all of these groups who are on the ground talking to people, making sure they have the tools. And I've often talked about a YouTube channel, which Mm. I would love to put up, um, where we answer, demystify. So if someone has a quick question like, is it okay to do X? They can just Google it. It shows up on the YouTube channel, and they have an answer. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. It's definitely Thomas, Democrat candidate for Secretary of State. So we talked earlier how you were one of eight candidates. People had much more experience than you did, more money, more networks. More before legislative they started. experience. Yeah. And yes, what I mean. That. I don't mean life experience. You <laughs> did have other relevant experience. And you emerged at the convention. How did that happen? Um, I think... Because you were surprised. You didn't have a speech ready to win. I did not have a speech. I thought I might. Do. I love that you said that. That you were honest. Yeah, I, 
And I think that's why I won. I'm always honest. <laughs> and I'm not political. Like I said, I'm into governance. I am a strategic thinker. I'm a fair dealer. I am a two-way communication um, zealot. So I think people, the, the nicest thing I ever heard someone say was, you know, I don't know you, but I never heard anything bad about you. Um, Just I, wait. There'll be some, there'll be some I, next Alex Jones person. If you yeah. get elected, it's like oh, I'm Stephanie sure Thomas. That was, yeah, like if you change. say, I'm going now to buy some coffee. She said, she says she's going to buy all the votes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> YouTube, yeah. Yes. But I, what I think that means is I've been consistent in my life. I try to be straightforward. I try to treat everybody with respect. I um, am a quick thinker. I'm a creative thinker. And I've done well in business. And I think I can bring that to the secretary's role. And I also think this political system needs to change if we are to pull ourselves back from the brink of the divisiveness and the undercurrent of, frankly, just anger and unhappiness that um, is unwarranted to a great extent. So um, I think people just liked what I had to say. Um, and if you read some of the articles, um, uh, you know, like Dan Har, I think, was uh, uh, talking to people on the convention floor Many of them had not planned to vote for me, but they just liked how I carried myself that day and what I said in my speech. And uh, Justin's asking, was it RCV? It was not RCV. What happens at the convention is that people get 25%, I believe it is, or 20% is of delegates. Of, it, it is basically. Then you can go into a runoff. Yeah. But then everyone else kind of peeled off who could have run except for um, one person uh, who also, like you, was coming in fresh. Yeah, it's and, um, um, any, anyone who receives a 15% a, a threshold. Um, it is like uh, ranked choice voting um, because there are multiple rounds. Whoever oh, that's uh, is the lowest um, drops Oh, that is ranked choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and what happened was that um, one of the... So I was reading from Dan Hart's coverage in the terrace. I thought they were very good articles. Partly he felt it was the people you met felt you were very genuine. Mm -hmm. And some people just said they... Um, they met you because you sat and had bourbon with them at their house, right? <laughs> what kind of bourbon was it? Um, Angel's Envy. I just had that for the first time last oh, night. Yeah. That's like a big hot thing. I didn't love it. So they, it's okay. they Angel's Envy, because you know all bourbon is made in these um, casks, yeah. right? Oak yeah. casks yeah. in Kentucky. But then they do six months of they put the Angel's Envy in a port cask. Oh, that's And that right. makes it yeah. milder and it yeah. gives it a taste of like um, fruity almost. Yeah. But I it didn't taste as it. much like bourbon to me. Maybe that's why I liked it. <laughs> that's interesting. I'll give it another try. I got a bottle at home. I the prefer other day. rye to bourbon, but I like rye, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different kinds of bourbon's yeah. kind of the hot thing now. So, but they offered you rye bourbon when you went in the house. Yes. How'd yes. you remember it was Angel's Envy? I just remember. I never heard of it until Dago. Oh, it's got yeah, a very different yeah, kind of bottle yeah. too. It's very yeah, interesting. It does, yeah. But his point was that the long shot, who no one expected, had very quietly done an old-fashioned round of getting to know delegates and sitting and talking to them, even spending an hour, because you don't drink bourbon in a minute. Yeah. And on the floor also, there were some miscues. I mean, Matt Lesser was a, was a leading candidate, and he had done some stuff that people didn't like with the Rules Committee and his wife, and, and then there was all this racial balancing stuff they didn't handle well. And you just kind of did an old, you kind of had the luxury almost of just being able to be yourself and talk to people, and then you didn't need 50% to get first place. Because I'm not mistaken, you were looking to get to that threshold. Is it 25% or 20 of the delegates? Uh, 
15 oh, to 15. go to the next round. So you were hoping yeah. to get that 15. You solidly got the 15, but instead you emerged as the front runner. Yeah, no. Uh, I but was went... Dan Hart right? Was it the one-on-one just talking to people and giving them the time? And I think so. Um, definitely, um, you know, it's a good question. And, and who knows? Uh, people I've spoken with afterward, everyone had different reasons. Um, some appreciated how forthright I was, that I never gave the expected answers or the easy answers. Um, I've taken a lot of flack over these months about things like ranked choice voting. I mean, groups were tweeting at me like, ah, Stephanie's against, and I never said I was against it. I'm just, pra- but you're not gonna champion I'm it. just pragmatic. Um, not this year right. <laughs> for the same reason. Um, even people have limited time and attention. And if I'm trying to roll out early voting, for example, um, you know, less is more, I think, in So people marketing. responded to you. They felt you're being yeah, a straight shooter. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, then, and what has it been like for you to make that transition to be front runner from the long shot? Uh, it was pretty easy. <laughs> um, it, it's, I haven't changed anything. I literally am always the same person, have been, will be. Um, the only difference is the amount of miles <laughs> that have gone on my car. <laughs> And then, you know, we talked beforehand about coordination. So you had a press conference with other, I believe, members of the state ticket. Mm -hmm. And you called your um, opponent election denier. I have not seen the Republicans. We talked about how maybe behind the scenes Republicans have and Democrats, their parties give you a lot of assistance and lists and calls and Mm -hmm. talking points. But I haven't seen the Republican Senate and governor and uh, constitutional office candidates appear together. Am I missing something? Have you seen um, it? I'm not sure because I don't watch them that closely. But you guys um, did a press conference at the Capitol. There was Stephanie Thomas with, I believe, yeah. Bicewitz with. Was Blumenthal there? Was uh, Who was there that day? Oh, the governor. that's right. Everyone was there. Yeah, so yeah, the whole the ticket was slate. there saying, yeah. for your race. Yeah, yeah. They said, where was Stephanie Thomas? Because her opponent's election denier. I haven't seen the Republicans coalesce to say, we're a team, we're standing for this one idea, and yeah. we want you to think about this race. Yeah, um, maybe not. Um, What I pick up on is there's a bit of a fracture, right? Um, There's what I call the old GOP, and there's sort of the 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 MAGA Republican. I would say you're not going to say it's the Ned Lamont GOP. Ned Lamont was what Republicans were in the state. Yeah, so I think there are what I call old GOP candidates who are running, and I I mean up and down the ballot. Are any of them on the ticket? Are any of them statewide? Because the Thomas Claritis got... Got cream. Not at the statewide level, but you yeah. know, we have local candidates, um, and many of them don't know what to do. So maybe they are not cohesive as a party and therefore it would not come together in that way. So they joined um, you in trying to define your candidates. A lot of elections are. I know Bob Stavanesky's bitter about things Ned Lamont says about him, but I think as Ned Lamont went first in defining him. Mm. And you know, he tries to define Ned mm. too, and he says stuff. You would define your opponent as election denier. What was that based on? Because he says that Joe Biden won the election. Um, he says that now, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I think uh, anyone trying to run in Connecticut in 2022, um, he has been uh, smart enough to distance himself from some of the things he's said in the past. I know the Washington Post did an article a couple of weeks ago where they analyzed every um, GOP candidate in the country um, at that statewide level, 
and they classified him as an election denier based on you know his deeds the and times words. they had a cartoon they showed two people running statewide in connecticut but they didn't tell you who they were who would they mean did they mean um i saw there was a times op-ed a few weeks ago i saw they had a front page story with the chart and it was online too and yeah. i went online to the chart this weekend and they still didn't let you click on who the person was what was the post the pet uh, basing that on did he ever say that the outcome was in question is there did you find i mean he, i'm sure you guys have um, done opposition research uh it limited um what i know about him um a lot of it i know just because he would come testify in front of my committee many times in the legislature so you know he definitely um if you look back to all of his 2020 tweets he was certainly like stop the steal he used and, those words oh yeah he tweeted stop he the steal hashtagged stop the steal a couple of months ago <laughs> uh-huh. um on his twitter feed he um you know has often gone around saying how proud he is that he voted for trump in 2016 and 2020 on January 6th, he was certainly tweeting about uh, the exact words, patriots in D.C. doing the right thing. Have you guys um, distributed that stuff? Um, uh, yeah, actually, some of it's probably in my e-blast. Um, uh, some of it will be uh, probably in an ad coming up. Um, so so he's saying if someone says stop the steal, that's election denial because he's saying it's a steal. Yeah, exactly. He certainly, um, he was going around the country um you know, virtually in 2020 and even 2021, appearing on all these shows, um, accusing Denise Merrill in the state of Connecticut of a massive election cover up in 2020. Um, I think, you know, he was board chair of Fight Voter Fraud, um, uh, a widely discredited group now. They claimed over 5,700 people uh, voted in Connecticut illegally. Um, in the 2020 election, which was proven to be false. What's they, the real number? Um, no, it was a, what, what they were saying was that people not registered to vote voted, but they were misreading um, uh, a data code in our CVR system. So it was proven not to be true. Um, they made 103 claims about election fraud, all of which were duly investigated, not true. So whether he, you know, I asked him last night in the debate about some of these things and about some of his tweets and his um, artful political pivot was, I believe, Joe Biden's president. But um, I don't think that answers the question. That he's president or he won the election? Uh, I'd have to go back and watch the tape. I'm pretty sure he said is president. Okay. And um, Stephanie, I want to ask you before you leave. So it, generally, you have four hundred something thousand Republicans in the state. You have, I think, eight or nine hundred thousand Democrats and over a million independents. Who are the independents? Nationally, independent women are breaking for the Republicans because of the economy. In Connecticut, I think we're pretty confident, based and you can see what they're saying, that the independents don't like the whole kind of Trump stop the steal stuff. Who are these independents? You you appeal to them as and Republican voters as a state rep. Can you do that in this election? I just want to correct your language a little bit because it causes a lot of oh, confusion unaffiliated, here not independent. in Connecticut. Uh, unaffiliated. Independent in Connecticut is a party, much right. like Libertarian, Green Party. It tends to be um, historically right-leaning. Um, they seem to be changing a little bit this year. They, um, George Cabrera they is their have, candidate. They do have Stephanie. new... Yeah. Um, 
rules and guidelines, so it's a little more balanced now. R- rules. <laughs> the state chair yeah. the I mean, I guess Stefanowski had some issues <laughs> with their rules <laughs> when he filed the lawsuit. But was um, rules. yeah, <clears throat> so yeah, but historically it's been um, sort of Anti-abortion a placeholder right wing, yeah. for yeah. Um, so unaffiliated voters are people who have not signed up to be. And what's confusing is that's party. who we mean when we read nationally about independent yes. voters. You say independent winning. They're not. They're saying. Yeah. In any other state, you would say. Independent. So who are these people yeah. and how do you appeal to them? And can you appeal to a Republican now as secretary of state, given how differently the two sides see elections? I have never run any of my campaigns trying to appeal to one party or one type of person. Um, I think that's why I flipped a seat. Um, I'm only the second Democrat to hold the seat um, that I currently hold. And I did that going door to door. I went to people's houses who had my opponent's lawn sign and said, well, hey, if I win, I'd have to represent you, too. Why are you supporting that candidate? And that's just the way I moved through this process. So I think I could appeal to unaffiliated and Republicans for the same reasons I would appeal to Democrats. I am a hard worker. I am convinced that we have some things we can do to improve the processes of how our elections run. I think there's a lot we can do to help our business community thrive, and I'm committed to getting it done and doing it without misinformation, rudeness, or divisiveness. And one more reader, listener. What can Secretary of State do to help address the problem? People not having faith in election outcomes, maybe publicized audits. Um, Absolutely. I am a big fan of transparency. um, And I think um, for me, that also underscores this importance of civic education and making sure we are teaching people um, what's true, what's not true, what's out there and answering questions when they come. Thank you so much for coming on, Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks for making the visit. It's always a pleasure. (laughs) Last time we got a little more personal to see who you are. This time we kind of coming up to election day talking about what's at stake yep absolutely it's always a pleasure Thanks. you're always invited have a good back one. <laughs> and I'm, oh angels envy are you gonna have you tried it again since or is that a one-time thing um i had had it years prior i don't tend to drink bourbon so uh probably no more uh, until i see that uh voter again <laughs> <laughs> thanks to nora grace flood doing such a great job when harry jose is in here running the station and um I want to thank everyone for listening. Thanks for the questions. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience. Performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.